welcome to this edition of Footnotes, a podcast from Celtis First Baptist Church in Lufkin, Texas. For more information, you can visit us at Celtis.org. That's K-E-L-T-Y-S dot O-R-G. And now, Footnotes. And welcome to another edition of Footnotes. This is Pastor Mark, and once again, we are in the series, Getting to Know You. That's where we get to know different staff members, all about their life, their testimony, and how God is using them. And I'm thrilled to be joined today with one of our longest-standing pastors here at Celtus, and that is Jerry Browning. So, Jerry, brother, thank you for doing this. Well, thank you for allowing me to do it. Absolutely. And our brother Jerry was a little hesitant at first. I think that's fair. Would you agree? I agree. Uh, A little hesitant of what I would be doing with him behind the microphone here. But uh, here's basically what we do uh, in this series. Uh, In interviewing the staff, we ask three questions. Tell us your background, which honestly, brother Jerry, I don't think a lot of people know a lot about your background. I mean, they know you're from Arkansas, but beyond that, you've been here for 15 years so before that, we want to hear, you know, kind of where you grew up, what happened in your life. Uh, then the second question, your testimony, how God called you, saved you. Thirdly, just kind of what you do here, your, your gifting, particularly in this body. So that's where we want to begin, and, and that's what we want to talk about together today. Okay, so Brother Jerry, why don't you just give us a, a preview of, of your life in general? Tell us about your background. Well, I was born in Hope, Arkansas, 1941, so uh, I had a neat family. My father and mother were, uh, you know, godly people, and uh, had a lot of good, well, just good standards to live by. I have four brothers, and so all five of us boys uh, lived together, fought together, and uh, loved together for those times in, in, uh, in Hope. I guess that, you know, by the time I uh, uh, reached through, uh, went out of high school, I was always wanting to be in a, a policeman. Can you imagine that? You wanted to be a police officer. That is correct. Okay. Uh, and uh, I, uh, back then, you had to have a lot of qualifications, like you had to be 21, and I'm 18 at that time. So what am I going to do to 18 to 21? College was not really on the horizon. I didn't care for it. So uh, I worked hither and there. Then I went into the uh, to the army, and I was actually I was an infantry. I later became a cook, but I was uh, trained as an infantryman. Now, how do you go from being in infantry to cook? Did they say, "Hey, listen, we're glad that you want to do the army, but uh, you would do a better job maybe over here"? Or how did that work? Well, I went through, you know, the training of infantry, and then later, this was probably a year and a half later, I had cooking in the background uh, when I was uh, waiting around to go and wait and see what God's going to do with me. So uh, I had cooking in the background, and then I was asked if I'd like to go into that. And I said, yes, I think I'd like to do that. I got tired of running up and down hills. Ah, very smart. Yeah. Yeah. So I got out of the service, and I went back to Hope, and uh, I'm 23 years of age, and I had uh, just met a a young lady, really an interesting account, because my brother that's 22 uh, 
22 months younger than I, he had been dating this girl, and for some reason, she and I started dating. Uh-oh. <laughs> <That> <laughs> Talk was, about fighting with your brother. <laughs> it continued on. And so a year later, uh, Jenny was her name, and we married. And I think that that was really one of the great uh, changing points in my life because her father and mother had a business there in Hope, and the father hired me. And actually, he hired me before I, before I married Jenny. But here was a godly man and a godly, his wife, a godly woman. He was the song director in Hope, Arkansas at Garrett Memorial Baptist Church for 35 years, and she was the pianist. But the most important thing was his reputation as a businessman there in Hope. He was uh, trusted. He, he demonstrated to me how a man in the business world, lives his life as a child of God. What a great role model he was for me. And as it relates to that, I worked for him for about seven years. But one of the things that that just always kept coming back to me was the fact that God was living in my life in such a way I kept thinking about ministry. But remember, I said I wanted to be a policeman, not a minister. But even as a 12, 13-year-old kid, and as I'd lay down, look out the window, this is pre-air conditioning, and the wind is open, the breeze is blowing in, and those few minutes before I would fall asleep, there's that piece of uh, God would just literally come and show me my feelings, and he would lead me to ministry and i you know back then the only thing about ministry was the preacher Hmm. well that's the last thing in the world i wanted to do Uh, too many people involved in that because you let's be clear people who may not know you well you're not an extrovert by nature introverted yeah yes very much so and still am so nevertheless you know uh here i am uh, married but the, the things that God had been working in my life for almost 10 years, if not, if not 10, it would become alive again because of my father-in-law and my mother-in-law, who was living such neat lives as God's children. And so uh, uh, over the years there, five, six, seven years with them, I finally came to a point, and I just stopped and I said, God, whatever you want, I will do it. You open the door, and I'll go through it. And from that time on, I'm 27 years of age. I uh, went through a lot of doors because God, every, every door that needed to be opened, opened. Prior to that, no doors ever opened. And so I surrendered to ministry. I was 27 years of age, and Clyde Johnson was the pastor of Garrett Memorial at that time, a great guy. Clyde Johnson, Uh and the pastor now is Cliff Johnson. That is correct. And they are not related. No kin. Ironic. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, Garrett Memorial has a a big place in my heart, and I like the fact that Cliff, the present pastor, is leading the church in a neat way. Yeah, absolutely. Cliff does a great job, and I, I know he has a great team and good friends, wonderful people. So what year would this have been when you you know, did surrender there at Garrett Memorial. 1968. 
1968. So that was in October of that year, and so uh, Mr. Johnson, or Brother Johnson, encouraged me to go to college, and I went on to CBC. Now that's Central Baptist College, Conway, Arkansas. Yeah, and so they babied me through. See, I've been out of school for 10 years, and they babied me me through uh, the college, uh, you know, first two years, and then I transferred over to, at that time, SCA. Uh, University of Central Arkansas now, I think, whatever it is. Yeah, UCA. And they got my degree in, in uh, elementary ed. And then I went to seminary in Jacksonville. And you went to the BMA Theological Seminary, Baptist Missionary Association Theological Seminary in Jacksonville. That is correct. And you were there in the 70s. Yes, 72, January of 72. Okay. Now, assuming you got your master's degree, MDiv, uh, you and your wife, Jenny, and how many children... Did you have your children at seminary, or had you had them previous? When I went to CBC in 68, January 68, I had one son. He was 15 months old. And what is his name? Ron. Ron. And uh, what we, what I was dealing with, my wife <clears throat> was a diabetic, and at this time she's close to 25 years of age. She developed her diabetes as a 10-year-old child and a brittle diabetic, very serious. But this is in the early 50s, and they really were just opening up how to deal with diabetes. And, but basically what they did, you controlled it by if you were, uh, if your sugar was high, you'd, you know, you would take uh, insulin. If it's low, you'd eat one or the other. So it's a crazy balance. But my point would, that I wanted to communicate, she was so sick. Uh, most of the, the 13 years that we were married, she was just really, really hard. And, and yet God gave her the ability to go with me to CBC and then to Jacksonville Seminary. Even as a sick lady, she was there, mm. very positive. And Jenny died 1978, July. And then three years later, at that time, I've got two children. Ron. Now, yes, because uh, you had Ron, and then and you uh, also have Nicole. Nicole, and Jenny is her, you know, Nicole's mom. And and now, did Jenny, um, I may have this wrong, uh, did your first wife, Jenny, pass away in delivering Nicole, or is that incorrect? No, that's not correct. Okay. Matter of fact, Nicole was premature, two and a half months, and uh uh, the doctors really would not go any further because of Jenny's uh, physical condition, and so they uh, induced labor on her. Actually, they did a cesarean. And uh, the doctors forewarned me, said, Nicole's going to be you know, two and a half, three months early, and expect the worst. And when they uh, delivered the baby, the doctor came out and said, I don't understand it. But every major organ with Nicole is perfect. Hmm. The problem was she only weighed two pounds and 14 ounces. And uh, so uh, we stayed there in the hospital, Jenny and uh, Nicole and myself. Now, Jenny and I would go home periodically, but we'd come back, and especially Jenny, and feed the baby out of a, you know, just a dropper because she was extremely small, dropped down to 2.2 pounds. And finally, you know, back then you had to weigh five pounds before they let you come home. And I finally told them, Doc, I said, you're, you're 
I can't afford this any longer. I'm in seminary. And so they let us take her home. She's still only weighed about 3, 3.8, 3.10. So Jenny uh, was doing okay, but she was still sick. Mm-hmm. And uh, we uh, moved to Columbus, uh, Mississippi, and uh, went there as a pastor. And uh, that is where Jenny died. I was there about 11 months when she died. And how old was Nicole? Let's put uh, a reference. Nicole was five. Okay, and five Otis years old. 12. Okay. And uh, so uh, I had only been there in Mississippi and, uh, at Columbus for uh, a year, not even quite a year yet. And uh, it was a brand new church, just come out of uh, uh, mission status and we were located real close to uh, an Air Force base. And we had some people there at that church that just reached out to the Air Force people. And our church was growing. We'd already had uh, over the 200 mark. And you can imagine, I'm, I'm by myself, and uh, uh, I could not really give my children the right proper time and to give the church the proper time. So I had brought a, a friend of mine by the name of Von Gross in, and he was uh, helping me there at the church as an associate. And I went to him and asked him, I said, Von, I need to, I, I can't continue to do this. I don't have time. It's not fair to the church. It's not fair to my two kids. The thing that I wanted to make sure my children did not grow up to hate God at the loss of their mom. And God has maintained that. He has kept that promise. Uh, both of my children love the Lord, and uh, I'm amazed at how they uh, they have done that. I don't mean that they're perfect. They're kind of like me. They're not perfect. <laughs> they're pretty close, yeah. Well, that's that's great. That's such a testimony. You know, I remember you telling me, I don't think I'll ever forget this, and this is one of those tidbits that you share when you work together for 15 years, but you shared with us that right after the death of Jenny, here you had two children in Columbus, Mississippi, and one of the things that was kind of a solace for you was you'd, you'd have time to watch MASH, which was a television sitcom, every every night. Now, that's not very redeeming. It's not like, you know, I spent time in the Word. I mean, you were, you, you had, but you, you, you talked about how at the end of a long day, just being exhausted and you had given and given and given, that was like your 30 minutes to just breathe. Yeah, that was reruns about midnight every night. Yeah. And... Uh, I did not get to watch MASH when it was actively uh, on at, at a regular time during the week. I didn't get to do that. So that was a breathing time. Yeah. But but in a in a serious note, I know that you also leaned in, on the Word and on the promises of God. I mean, one thing I think anyone that knows you for any amount of time knows that you are a man that will always take people to the Word. So... You know, you weren't leaning on your feelings in this very emotional time of your life, even though you probably had excruciating feelings. You, you weren't leaning on other people, even though you you had people in your life. Um, and it sounds like there were even people in this church that tried to help you. I cannot imagine, though, how hard that must have been as a new pastor, because you know, people not in the pastorate do not understand, but there is a demand Very much. on the pastor. No matter if you have elders or if you have a single pastor or a staff, it's kind of like life in the fishbowl. 
you know, and Mike Huckabee, who is from Hope, You're right? who was a friend of yours. Still is. Uh, still is. Wrote a book um, called Character is the Issue. That was a long time ago when, when his other buddy, Bill, was in office. And um, in the book, Huckabee recounts how he was a pastor. And I don't think a lot of people knew that. He was a Baptist pastor. And he talks about how really he didn't see much of a difference between being a governor of a state and being a pastor of a church. There were a lot of similarities. Now, I don't know if we would agree with that, um, but his point was, I'm in a fishbowl as governor. I was in a fishbowl as a pastor. You know, there's these expectations on me and on my family 24 hours a day. As a governor, there were those expectations on a smaller scale as a pastor. And I always thought that was interesting insight from him. So I could only imagine here you are, 11 months, people are still getting to know you. This is a new church. There's all these demands. And and not to sound um, condescending, but even throwing that back to the 70s, where there was even a bigger culture in the South for church life. You know, things things have changed a little bit, but but it, there was a big church culture that that also attached itself to that. So here you are dealing with that. How how did you how did you deal with that? Because I know eventually you you had to leave Columbus. Yeah. For some of those reasons, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, the biggest reason was I was just seeking God's counsel regarding. How do I lead a church and lead my family at the same time? Both are full-time jobs at that moment. Nicole was in uh, kindergarten, and uh, Nicole is a lot like me, and uh, she's not an extrovert. Ron is. So uh, uh, I had to deal with, uh, you know, with Nicole. I wanted to make sure she was okay. And uh, Ron helped in that uh, immensely. So that... You know, just after Jenny died, I took her to, back to Hope, and that's where our, you know, she is buried. And that's where I'm from, as I said earlier, and that's where she was from. So as I was uh, dealing with just, you know, the burial, and after that for a few days, they're just resting there in Hope, I, uh, I sought God's counsel, and I, that was the way that God was leading me. It's important for your children but it's just as important for the body there in Columbus to have someone that they can work with. We had we'd already done a lot of things, starting, for example, at, at that church with discipling. And we had uh, uh, worked through a, a very good series, and people were responding to the Word of God. And uh, so I wanted that to continue. And that's where Vaughn, a very good friend of mine, uh, who is now deceased. Uh, all of my good friends have, are deceased, so you don't want to get too close to me. Okay. But Vaughn was a great guy and uh, had some problems here and there. But right there, he was the man that God chose to, you know, to work with me. So I left the church, and I went back to Tyler because Tyler was where I was uh, pastoring before going to Columbus. And I'd been there seven or eight years. And that is where uh, we had worked diligently on our families as a church. And those people took me back in, not as pastor. I went to work for retail merchants because I have credit in my background, kind of like cooking. But I had credit, and a, a guy, a good friend, gave me a job there. And the church gave me opportunities to minister. And so uh, 
And what was the name of the church that you went back to? It is uh, uh, College, I want to say College View, but that's one in Magnolia. But it's... Uh, uh, was East, it Rose East, City? No, no. Eastwood. 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 Church. Okay. And, uh, Which it, it no longer exists. I think that— No, we sold the property with two other churches there in Tyler in order to buy the property that Rosewood— uh, Rose City. Wood, yeah, Rose City. Yeah. And it's no longer— And it's no longer. There. Yeah. But yeah. we bought the property uh, out on 69 South coming towards us greatest opportunities and for some reason it didn't work i don't know what it, what all the issues were right but you were but there. anyway you i were was part of that yes um uh as it relates to to going back to tyler i just want to emphasize that that church body because i was single you know i would want to stand off they would not let me they brought me in and everything and uh we had our small group meetings, just like we do here, and uh, that's where we started that, small groups, and uh, you know, it excelled, and the families grew close, and uh, they just loved me, and they taught me that you never let someone that's lost a spouse, you never let them think that they're out in left field, or, yeah, I've got a green thumb, you know, you, you bring them in, and that's been a heart of mine ever since, and they taught me that well. So uh, I was there a year, a little over, and then uh, I went, no, I was there two years. And uh, after three years, I met my present wife, Ann. And, uh, and you met her there in Tyler? No. Actually, the seminary asked me if I'd go preach and fill a pulpit in Madisonville. Actually, Norman G., Texas, which is out of Madisonville on I-45, uh, not too far from Huntsville, but Normandy is just a little over, I better not say that. It's Hole in the wall, yeah, <laughs> yeah. little yeah. spot in the it's, road. It's a very country, uh, cattle, horses, and I'm a very city boy, and I said, Lord. Even though you were from Hope, yes. right, yes. you and all those guys from no, Hope seem to correct. be city boys. Yes, and so here, Ron and I, and uh, Nicole, we spent the night with somebody uh, there in, in, in Madisonville and, and uh, preached the next day and getting ready to leave. And they, uh, they asked me if they, we would like to call you to be our pastor. I didn't know them from Adam. They didn't know me from Adam. But they were open to the Word of God. That's the neat thing. They were open to it. And I said, let me just come back next week or whenever you have an opening, and let's get to know each other. So for about three weeks, I did that, and then I told them that I would come as an interim. I did not. I said, Lord, what am I doing here in the middle of nowhere? And uh, it was not but a week or two after that I met Ann. She was a member of the church. Wow. So God sovereignly put you there. <laughs> yes. And for those of you that know Miss Ann, they've you've now been married to Miss Ann how many years? Be thirty five in December. Thirty five years. She is precious. She is invaluable to the church body. Uh, many, many of us dearly love Miss Ann. One thing I can say about her, she is an encourager. Uh, she always hugs my neck. She always tells me she's praying for me. Mm -hmm. And, boy, I, I feel convicted when she does because I'm not that way, and I think I should be that way. And here's somebody loving me and telling me they're praying for me constantly and consistently with such grace. 
So you met Miss Ann outside of Madisonville, and uh, to commemorate that meeting, they've now built a Bucky's, which is there in Madisonville, that's, in honor of true. you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's that's now the redeeming thing about Madisonville on 45. It's yeah. got a Bucky's, and if you're not from Texas, you probably don't understand what that is. But it's, uh, it's, it's a big Walmart. It's a big Walmart and a yeah, and a little in a little convenience store. So uh, you uh, you were sent out by the seminary. Now I want to just touch on one thing before we move on with this point. Something that you said, which I think is so crucial: the church body in Tyler loved you, surrounded you ministered to you yeah that was critical oh much so much so so three years three, three years, years after jenny died i was there and back in tyler so uh and they Ann. loved on your kids oh yes yeah and they still do still do yeah okay we have a you know some of the people that were a big part of the church in tyler back in uh, that day they still live in tyler so i still have a relationship when they have a reunion periodically uh, they'll call, say, come, you know, we're going to meet at whatever steak place they're going to eat, and Ann and I will go and have a blast. Re- you know, just reworked yesteryear. Yeah. You know, and I, like you, remember that building on 69 on Broadway mm-hmm. in Tyler, and it was a fantastic location mm-hmm. and so tragic that we gave that up, we lost it, we sold it as a denomination. Yes. Um, it's now a chiropractor yeah. place. It used to be a church. And, you know, you said, I'm not really sure why it never made it. And I think I can say this definitively being on the missions board that reviewed that. I would pin it to pastoral leadership. Well, I would say no, that Not too. just one, yeah. but multiple years. Yeah. And I don't know. I know one of the men that was there in the end. I don't know too many more beyond that so i'm i can't point but i mean you know some of the things i've heard is i heard the history yeah. of that church's decline and that's another podcast we could do what what causes this but you know you have to have faithful godly leadership that meets the standard and that is patient and loving and filled with the fruits of the spirit so it's sad that that happened it's so tragic it's so sad in fact i remember when i first came they were basically falling apart up there they yes. were closing their doors and you actually considered maybe going back up and trying to, to help them. We were going to try to maybe send you to go back and help. And that never materialized because then other voices got involved and wanted to sell it for financial gain, you know, financial reasons. Okay, so you, you went beyond Tyler, and then you kept pastoring, right? Yes. I spent uh, seven or eight years in Edmond, Oklahoma. This is after Ann and I married. In July of 74, we went to Edmond, Oklahoma, and we were there at Sunset Baptist Church. And um, uh, Ann and I just had a great time there. Loved uh, Edmond. is a great city. It reminds me a lot of Tyler. Uh, Oklahoma, though, is a different thing. They have tornadoes all the time. Mm-hmm. But Edmond is a great city. We had a great ministry there. Uh, and no, I still have friends there as well. I left there after eight years and went to Magnolia, Arkansas, as pastor of College View Baptist Church. One of the great churches, uh, uh, you know, in our associational work, been good, uh, established in the early 60s, uh, if I remember correctly. But I went there in 92, and I left there 10 years later. 
mm-hmm. and came here. And as you've an been associate. here 15 years as an actually, associate pastor. Yeah, actually, I've, I've completed 16 years. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Now, 16 years. September the oh, 10th. Oh, that's right. Yes, your anniversary was always a day before 9 11. That is correct. And we just celebrated that a week ago. So, absolutely. So let's talk really quick about your testimony. Now, we've heard kind of a summary of your life and ministry. When did you become a believer? I was 10 years of age when I received the gift of eternal life. And I was raised in First Baptist Church in Hope, Arkansas. And that's a large church. Uh, and I, you know, I said something a while ago about Garrett Memorial. I went there after I married Jenny, so a number of years later when I was an adult. But my family was brought up First Baptist Church, had some great pastors, and uh, I started understanding in my mind that I was lost when I was eight, nine years of age. I don't really remember that exact time. But boy, when I was nine years of age, and then back then, you know, the introduction, I mean, the invitation was given. Verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4. We're going to keep singing until you come. <laughs> until I come. And I can remember as a kid, I would turn to another song, you know, another page. So I Because the first song yeah. was over and the invitation was still going. No, So no. you went to, to song number two. No, I went there because I did not want to think about it. I was under such heavy conviction. And we're talking about a large church, six, 700 people. And I did not want to go down that aisle. So I would do everything I could do to put my mind on something else. Well, that following summer, before I turned, I was 10, and uh, I would, my birthday is August the 22nd. And on, um, in August, early part of August, we had vacation Bible school. And for some reason, you know, just happened, just accidentally. God sent that pastor to me uh, there at Vacation Bible School and called me out. And he and I were just sitting on the front row in the, in the auditorium, big auditorium. And he loved me and talked to me and gave me the courage to look at him in the eye. And I, you know, I want Christ. Hmm. The other thing I said, how am I going to get down here? <laughs> but between, uh, you know, there were three of us that uh, of the same age, uh, a guy by the name of Delton Hatfield and a guy by the name of Jimmy Lauderback. All three of us uh, were in the same Sunday school class, accepted Christ. We were in a brand new auditorium, never have had a baptismal service. Who's going to be the first? <laughs> and and I, I don't want to be the first. I'll be the third. And so, uh, you know, that's what happened. I couldn't remember the date. A few years ago, before my mother passed away, I called her. I said, Mother, would you call the church office and get the date? And the day that I walked that aisle, I've saved already a few days, maybe even a week or two before that. The aisle did not save you. No, the aisle did not save me. The gospel saved you. The gospel that I I received uh, with the pastor and even previous. So uh, we uh, uh, were able to go into a new building and to be baptized was an awesome thing to me. It did not save me as the aisle did not save me, but it was an awesome testimony to the world that, that we lived in. And the world I was showing was that group of people there. And what year was it? You, you said that your was mom. 1951. 1951. Yeah. Yeah. And so she told me that uh, you, 
on the 8th of August of 1951. That's when I made it public. On the 15th, a week later, I was baptized. All right. That's incredible. So it's, yeah. a, you know, it's a good memory. And those two guys, that, you know, great guys. Um, you know, one of them is dead, deceased. The other one is uh, retired there in Hope, uh, outside of Hope. And uh, so I see him periodically at Walmart. I just walk through him. There he is. Yeah, that's great. So professing believer, and then your life took off with all the events that you described previously. So let's now turn to your ministry that you've had here for 16 years. And let me begin by just saying this to our people and anyone listening who doesn't know you. You know, what I always thought was remarkable about you is that you came here after pastoring churches for 38 38 years years as senior pastor. And when you were now in your 60s, because you're now in your 70s, so you you, 16 years ago would have been somewhere in your 60s or late 50s. I just turned 60 at that time. You came here and you said, I've got years left. I mean, you you have plenty of years left. You wanted to serve the Lord. You didn't want to quit. But you humbly, and I think this speaks volumes about you, and, and here you're giving me these looks. You guys got to understand, Brother Jerry shuns any praise, okay? But in humility, you came to this church as the second man. A lot of men could not do that, to just be real honest with you. I've heard stories where other guys tried to do that, and it turned out horribly for the staff. The testimony is that you've been here 16 years through two pastors, and you've been able to maintain what you do, and no one believes that you're trying to take the center seat, okay? So I just always think that's so admirable of you, and, um, you know, I'll be honest, when when I was looking at this church 12 years ago um, and, and was getting information and the pulpit committee was talking to me, you were the only staff member left at that time. And they said, well, there is an associate pastor, and he's an older man, and I remember I Googled you or, or whatever was back then. I don't know if we had Google. But, uh, you know, I looked you up, yahooed you, and um, found a picture of you, and I wondered, is this guy going to be a problem, you know, mm-hmm. for the ministry? <laughs> I mean, if I go there as a young man, because I was like 30 years old, 31, if I go to this church as a pastor, is is this going to be a potential problem? And... I mean, I can say with full confidence now, 16 years later, you have been, brother, one of the greatest assets to my ministry. And I'm saying that publicly. Um, You have been an incredible encourager. You have been one that's kept me biblical. Um, You know, you have challenged me when I was out of bounds or out of line. You've always been good counsel. You've always told me you were praying for me. I mean... Any pastor wanting to study how to be a pastor, come to Jerry Browning. I mean, you've been an asset to our church. And next year, you're wanting to retire, but I've said this repeatedly, and I want to keep saying it. Maybe you retire financially, but we still need you here. I mean, we don't want to give you up because you you have been that constant uh, strength and encouragement to so many people. And I, I can think of so many families that have been rescued through your counseling ministry. Uh, They've been helped through your evangelism ministry. People have come to Christ through what you've done, and so you've had a great great impact here. I don't know that you would say, and you may not say this, but you think this last 16 years has been profitable 
Most profitable, yeah. maybe? Uh, there's been the most uh, exciting and the most biblical uh, growth factor in my life. I've always had a, a neat way of uh, trying to grow a little bit, you know, studying the Word of God. <clears throat> but God has continuously, over the my years, uh, it just seems like that at intervals, l- let's just say the first 10 years, the second 10 years, and third 10 years. But when I first went to CBC, for example, God threw me in the library with some great men like J.I. Packard. Uh, you know, just numbers of people. And so it's founded me in the Word of God a long time ago. And so I've grown in that. Now, here, uh, men like Mark Dever, John MacArthur, and I've known MacArthur for a long time and via the tapes and books. Because you and, you and MacArthur yeah, are he's pretty a, much the yeah, same age. He's a, I think he's a couple of years older than I. So there is someone older than I am. In the ministry. <laughs> but but you guys were going into the ministry yeah. and doing work for the kingdom roughly the yeah. same time period. Right. You know, his story is so different, yeah. obviously, from yours. But there you have yeah. it. So, yeah, this is these 16 years I have grown more. But I, I credit that to the fact that all of us should be growing every year. And uh, God has been faithful to me, so faithful uh, you know, with the Word of God. And, uh, and men like you and the other staff members, Dave and Aaron, and, and some in the past that we've already. And, you know, we have some great missionaries. And these guys, when they come and give their reports and love on us, you know, the idea is we to love on them, but they love on us. Uh, what an exciting time to see them taking the word. And we're part of that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. So here at Keltus, you do two things primarily that you're passionate about, evangelism, and you do evangelism training. Yes. And I'm always thankful for that. You train members in the body to share the gospel, and there are there are methods and there are also things that you guys do to go outside the doors of the church to share the gospel. Correct. So that's one thing. I think we all understand evangelism, but I want to highlight counseling. Because that is an area that lends itself to lots of different definitions and different interpretations. So you bought into, very early in your ministry, the idea of biblical counseling, which is different from secular counseling, secular therapy. Correct. You bought into biblical counseling. And was that due to some of the events that we've already discussed in your life? Well, actually, when I went to uh, Tyler, I had just graduated from seminary, and I took uh, the church there, and I hadn't been there but a few months. And here comes a family, and uh, they are the staunch members of the church, and they were wanting to get a divorce. And to be honest with you, I did not know how to deal with that. Now, I could take them to the scriptures and, you know, not to divorce. But how do you correct that? And it wasn't but just a period of time, a short period, that someone put in my hands uh, Jay Adams' book, Competent to Counsel. That was his first book, which was a book that helped us to understand that biblical counseling had been taken outside the, the, the church as a whole in our country. And Dr. Adams is the... the the source that God used to bring biblical counsel 
back in to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Dr. Adams is a little bit older than I am, and God has used him in a fantastic way because across our country, using the Word of God to solve problems is biblical counseling. And, and you actually introduced me to that concept when I came here. You were taking groups of lay people to a NANC conference, uh, National Association of Nuthetic Counselors. Mm-hmm. That no longer is the name. It's now changed names. And honestly, they've changed their name so many times, I'm thoroughly confused. I don't remember what they are. Yeah. But th- they're Nuthetic Counselors. And I remember I had a background in psychology. That was my undergraduate degree. And I did not feel competent to counsel people. So I remember my first church in Harrisburg, Arkansas. A couple came to me, similar situation, and I didn't really know what to tell them. I felt so unprepared. I had taken psychology training. I had gone to seminary and taken counseling classes. So I had formal training, but I didn't have answers. I didn't really know what to do. It's, it's kind of like, you know, theory— you know, you study law, but you don't know how to conduct yourself in a courtroom. Right. I had never been in the courtroom, so to speak, and I had no idea how to conduct myself. And so I just remember messing that up. And I come here, and you start telling me about this Nuthetic Counseling. I had heard of Jay Adams. I had one of his books, Shepherding God's Flock, but that was as far as it went. And uh, that was really about pastoral ministry. And so, you know, you start telling me you really need to read these things and look at this. And you sent me to the NANC conference. And, uh, you know, long story short, now our whole staff is trained in Nuthetic Counseling. And we have bought into that. And you have become a good friend of Jay Adams and his ministry. I mean, I say that he's, he's really unable to do a lot of traveling. Right. But his organization has sent people here to do some speaking and do some training, and it's a tremendous thing that you do. And what I love about Adam's philosophy is that he says, you know, you really don't have to have a professional place. Everybody in the church should be able to take the Bible and disciple, counsel, use those words together, disciple, counsel another person. Right. We are not professional counselors. We never claim to be professional counselors. We are not MDs, but we can take the Bible and show you what the Bible says about all kinds of matters of life, anxiety, depression, time management, I mean, you name it, uh, fear, um, sexual immorality. I mean, the Bible addresses all those things. And so a good biblical counselor takes Scripture and helps another person with Scripture, and that can be done one-on-one anywhere. Right. That's what's so beautiful about what you teach, and I love that because a lot of our lay people have now been trained in that, and you know they're able to take the word and help their family and their friends and their coworkers, and it just kind of breeds an atmosphere yes. of of ministering one to another, which is so yeah. biblical. And we see that actually taking place with uh, what we might call lay people helping other people. We see it. So you're really committed to counseling. You want to continue that. You want to continue evangelism. That's your primary focus now here at our church. Well, brother, let me encourage you as you financially retire, as you re-engage, let me put it that way, um, there's still a ministry for you here beyond. Now, you're not planning on uh, skipping out and you and Miss Ann going to Hawaii, are you? We're thinking about that. You're thinking about moving there? 
Well, let me come and be your associate in Hawaii. Yeah. Can I do that? Sure. All right. So, so we're so thankful to have you. You're invaluable to our ministry. And uh, I think it's just a blessing to get to know your story. Thank you, Brother Jerry, for all you've done. You're welcome. For more information, you can visit us at keltis.org. That's K-E-L-T-Y-S dot O-R-G.